Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The go through some emails, check your calendar, see that you have a 45 minute break in the day between meetings, realize this is your moment. So you drive right to McDonald's to pick up something extra delicious ASAP meal. Thank you. There's a meal for every moment at McDonald's. Buy one of your select faves and get another for just a dollar every morning, like a sausage McMuffin or hash browns. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Valid for product of equal or lesser value. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Combo meal valid when product served. Welcome to episode number 52 of the LSR Podcast. My name is Matt Brown, joined each and every week by the brightest minds in all of the gaming industry. This week, Dustin Galker, Adam Candy, join me yet again. Follow those guys on Twitter at Dustin Galker, at Adam Candy. That is two E's, no Y. And as always, we do appreciate those five-star reviews over there on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google. We really do want to bring this podcast to as many people as humanly possible, so that helps us climb the charts. So please go ahead and do that for us, guys. We will talk about sports kind of starting back into our lives here. We will look at some numbers coming out of New Jersey. Will there be sports betting in Louisiana and some more DraftKings news? But let's go ahead and kick things off here. Uh, Adam, sports are back in our lives at least a little bit. We had a live UFC event this past week. There is another one um, as we are basically taping this. There'll be another one. This coming Saturday, NASCAR is coming back. We're going to have some match play event things going on in golf. And uh, not too far down the line, we'll have the PGA Tour as well. It's going to be a really interesting time for someone following sports betting to see what happens to the overall market when you get some more familiar sports back in, right? I mean, we're not going to see these results till the month of June to really understand what sort of overall impact. But UFC was a prime opportunity for at least the books here in Nevada this weekend. Uh, we know that some of them, Matt, were actually running promos, promos at a Nevada book. And that is a new experience for a lot of longtime sports bettors around here. Uh, elsewhere, obviously in Florida, it was a big event, even though with no fans to have UFC, they'll continue that going on. NASCAR is beginning quite the stretch here uh, starting this weekend. Uh, they're going to have seven races in 11 days. And as you mentioned, golf gets some match play going. And by early June, we're going to be looking at the PGA Tour restarting as well. Just saw some news out this week about their emphasis on social distancing out there on the tour. So, you know, we saw the New Jersey numbers come out. We're going to talk about those in a little bit. You can tell that whatever is there has been buoyed by the NFL draft. And we just talked about the familiarity of that, giving some people a little bit more confidence about jumping back into the market. And now we're going to start to see opportunities where these sports are on an island. They really are going to have a lot, uh, a lot of stage to themselves in terms of getting betting interest on something happening live. Dustin, Adam mentioned here that in Nevada, we saw promos really for the first time. I mean, there has not been really anything. We've talked about it on this podcast before that it was certainly lacking behind from a retention standpoint, from a, even from a signup standpoint, here in Nevada, we finally saw 
William Hill step up and offer a promo this past week. And I wonder if that is telling kind of moving forward. We know we're going to see promos come out of New Jersey. We know we're going to see promos come out of Colorado. It makes you wonder if Nevada and some of these, you know, some of these old school places that have never really had to do this type of thing with sports being gone for as long as it has to get people back to betting. If we might actually see some adaptation for once here, it's only been a couple of years. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, uh, hopefully that's not optimistic, but there is a, there is going to be a real thing with online betting in Nevada that you have to, you know, get the customers back to, you know, remember that, you know, some people will just say, "Oh, sports are back, I'm going to go back and bet." But some people will be need to be activated, and certainly that's going to happen in other markets around the country too, and you do think Nevada will probably say Rather than just uh, you know, relying on the fact that people will come back like, hey, give them a little bit of money. You know, most most betters are losing betters anyway. If you give them a little bit of uh, give them an email offer and say, hey, come back, we'll give you, you know, a free dot free free bet. That would be that's that that just makes sense. And it is the I mean, that should be the evolution of Nevada. We, we, we can't. Yeah, if we're sitting here 10, 20 years from now, and Nevada is exactly the way it is for sports betting. God help you. God help you both for what's <laughs> going on in sports betting. But you know, it, it, you really do. You do think Nevada will adapt when and maybe this hastens it a little bit. I'm going to be racking up those frequent flyer miles, just flying up to Denver every weekend, probably <laughs> if it comes down, if it comes down to that. Um, Adam, we, we look here and you mentioned that some of these sports are going to be on an island here. And NASCAR is one of those sports that has seen decline as far as ratings on television. We've heard about the financial struggles that's gone on in NASCAR. And we've actually talked at length here on this podcast about how we feel that golf is probably has the most to gain here from legalized sports betting. And now you are going to have golf at least. I mean, we got to think here if spring training, we've heard rumors that may get started sometime in June, we might get real games in July. There might be NBA sometime in July as well. So you have to think the majority of June, you're going to get the PGA Tour kind of on an island as well, competing with the UFC, but uh, they'll be basically just golf and fighting on television. Um, this this really could kind of catapult people into the golf betting market. I truly believe once people give it a whirl, they understand that a little bit goes a long way because you make one bet on a Thursday and that bet's good all the way through Sunday. You're getting four days of sweat as opposed to a few hours. I'll even piggyback that, Matt, and say it's kind of like betting with compound interests, right? Like each day you have that sweat going, but it's the sort of thing that interest wise is going to bring you back in. You're going to keep checking the scores. You might be betting after the first round. You might be betting after the second round. You might ultimately be betting in play as things go along during the tournament. So just getting that initial taste of the golf tournament and seeing what the experience is like betting on golf, I think it's the sort of thing where any sort of push up front to get people involved, it's going to be sticky. I think they're going to get people to stay. You mentioned NASCAR, and I don't want to overstate this because it's, it's not like I'm a motorsports expert in any way, but I think I would say this about any American sport that's kind of teetering right now. And NASCAR, obviously, financially and interest wise, was teetering even before the pandemic hit. This is kind of the big opportunity for NASCAR. This is the moment right here where you have all of these races going on in a condensed period of time. You have eyeballs that are desperate for something and you have a sport that frankly is pretty easy to bet on all in all. So a big opportunity for both of those sports. I think that for golf, it's more of a long term play. I think for NASCAR, it's a short term thing. They need to get people in now. 
And there's also the added thing. We're, we're going to see a, a webinar tomorrow from, I believe, from the American Gaming Association about a little bit about NASCAR betting and the, the live betting options. That's something that's, you know, you know pre-match, pre-race uh, NASCAR betting to me is not the most exciting thing in the world. But if you have, you know, a good, robust in-play offering, that's that's something interesting, too. So, you, I mean, you're going to have more more eyeballs on this, probably going to have more bettors looking at it. You, you're wait, you're if you don't have if you have just pre-raised betting, you're really kind of limiting yourself. So I'd be curious. I'll be curious to see what that is and what and which operators actually deploy some of this this live betting uh, tech and data that's going to be out there uh, for the upcoming NASCAR races. And by no way, shape or form would I say that, you know, these last these last, you know, six weeks, seven weeks have been, quote unquote, good at all for the sports betting industry. We know that they haven't. However, what we have seen is. Like we said, maybe some innovation coming along, maybe some new thinking coming along, maybe a little bit of fresh ideas that are coming into the market. And we've we've said ad nauseum on this podcast, we are all for people trying new things and trying out stuff in this industry. It's been a stale industry for as long as it has. And, you know, we saw in play uh, UFC actually this past Saturday, which has been which was a, a new thing. So they were offering kind of in play UFC so you could bet as the fight was was going on, which was something we had not seen before. The probably the juice wasn't worth the squeeze before for some of the books in Nevada to do that. But they began to do that. And then uh, and then, Dustin, we even have uh, we even have some of these sports where we joke about, you know, the Russian ping pong and the Belarusian soccer. But apparently these Russian ping pong matches have actually been doing, you know, way better handle than we could have ever imagined. I mean, we've joked at it time and time again, but I mean, we've heard some of these sportsbook operators come out and say, you'd actually be surprised at how much is going on here. I mean, now we see lacrosse is kind of getting into the mix here. And once the big sports come back, I don't think that we think this is going to be, you know, long-term moneymaker for these sports books or something, but you know, listen, it's more options. It's more availability for the sports better. Yeah, the table tennis is is definitely interesting. It's you know we're not talking like it's replacing any kind of any of the major sports, but there's certainly more volume than you'd ever expect on table tennis, just because it's probably the most engaging engaging sport out there. Everybody kind of knows what table tennis is. It's fun to watch if you have a live stream of it. And yeah, I don't I don't think yeah we're not we're going to see all this stuff go back, but maybe Americans get a little bit more comfortable betting online on on these off uh, off hours sports. You know, these are often going overseas. Keeps the sports books you know, people working during, during the off hours when everything else isn't going on. And uh, yeah, you know, that's the, that's the goal is to have, you know, betters constantly engaged and in, in, in watching other sports and, and doing all that. So, you know, long-term that's a, it's probably, you know, uh, well, healthy versus he- unhealthy. I don't know. It's a possibly a responsible gambling issue, but same time, you know, if there is the offering and people are interested in it, you, get, you should offer it because again, offshore, offshore sports books have and will right. continue to offer all this stuff. Exactly. And I shouldn't slight Korean baseball as well. Korean baseball is out there and uh, people are betting Korean baseball. Also uh, some actually fairly big DFS contests going on out there for Korean baseball. So people are trying to get their fix any way that they can get it. Adam, we are talking about numbers and we know that numbers are not going to be where we expect numbers to be with everything that's going on. So, you know, there's just our little preface here with all of this, but we did get some New Jersey numbers come out. Matt, I have major news to report. 100% of New Jersey sports betting handle in the month of April was online. That is a new <laughs> record in the country. Um, 
do I have to mention that all the casinos were closed physically uh, to do no, that? No, it's 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 let's, just, let's just let's just bury the yeah, bury the lead. It's fine. So yeah, that's, that's fine. We'll yeah. go ahead and bury yeah. that. Yeah. Fifty four and a half million is your number for New Jersey sports betting handle in April. Uh, you know, you don't need any sort of uh, any sort of degree in finance to know how different that is from a year ago. Revenue at about 2.6 million for New Jersey. So you're looking at roughly a 5% hold, right about average. Uh, you know that the NFL draft accounts for a large portion of what New Jersey was able to do in April. And that's why I think actually the, the one that I want to see is the Pennsylvania numbers as everything comes together in Pennsylvania because of the fact that in Pennsylvania, there was no betting on the NFL draft. So that's kind of the what is our bottom of the market scenario uh, Mm -hmm. in Pennsylvania. So, you know, ultimately, we don't need to harp on the fact that it was rough for New Jersey. But frankly, if you put this in the, the, you know, through the rose colored glasses, you say in the month of April, when no professional sports in the United States were taking place, $55 $55 million worth of money right. was wagered on sports. That That is still a significant number. And, you know, I think that that is, is really going to be, like, like you mentioned, I mean, I think that that is something that it will be brought up and thought about as some of these states move forward as well. I mean, it is a state that is completely mobile. That you can sign up, you can fund, you can withdraw, you can everything with that. And when there was a time where there is absolutely nothing at all happening really on a field or court or whatever that Americans are typically used to betting on, you were able to get that type of handle over there. And I do think that that is fairly significant and certainly a good case study. As you mentioned, we'll see what Pennsylvania does since they were not able to bet on the draft there. Dustin, one of the things that's not new, it has been around for a long, 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 long time is horse racing. But through all of this, we have started to see a little bit of renewed interest. People are looking for things again to keep to to not only to bet on, but just any sort of you know sporting event that they can watch and that they can enjoy right now while their typical sports are not on television. And we've kind of seen at least a little bit of a renaissance in horse race betting. Yeah, and it would be a little cautious about saying this is the the new 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 for horse racing, but at the same time, you know, this is one of the few things that you can gamble on and gamble on online pretty easily. Uh, it's horse betting across the country now. There are obviously not the same number of races and tracks open up across the U.S. and, and the world, so there's actually let fewer races to bet on, and that is kind of lowered overall handle, but we have seen that, you know, Churchill Downs released their numbers and actually saw handle grow uh, in the first quarter uh, in terms of how much was was bet. The race days for the for the races that are being run is actually seeing handle increased. Again, all this according to some uh, some numbers that put together by Matt Waters in a story at, at Legal Sports Report. So, um, you know, we can we know that, you know, TVG and uh, Twin Spires and those those online betting apps that are available in a lot of states across the country are, are doing pretty well. And it's again, this is the it goes back to the idea of uh, if you have if you have an option to bet, people are are going to are seeking it out and, and finding it. You know, you don't have any casinos that you can go to, although those are slightly starting to open up kind of slowly across the country. And again, New Jersey and, and Pennsylvania, they have online casinos that are legal there, online poker legalized in a few other states as well. And all we just all this all this comes back to, you know, you have an online option and this is this is something that people are, are going to get to and, and finding. So uh, yeah, horse betting is is definitely on the rise. You know, will that will uh, this is another one like will this kind of be kind of a trend that 
that lasts beyond the pandemic when sports run come back? You know, probably not. But again, it, it's a customer acquisition time, and uh, maybe maybe it's a little bit of a good time for horse racing moving forward. Dustin, to add to that idea, it's customer acquisition not just for the return of sports betting eventually, right? For some of these operators, there'll be a chance for casino as well. So, you know, it's not as large of a segment um, that has that availability. But if you look at something like TBG under the, you know, under the flutter, Patty Power, Betfair, behemoth umbrella, you know, you are trying to bring in customers for the opportunity to turn them into, uh, you know, into other channels. And, you know, what else can you do right now? Absolutely. Adam, there was a, there's a state that is near and dear to my heart, Louisiana. I grew up there. There has been uh, riverboats there for a long time. If you are unfamiliar with the South, depending on where you guys are located, it's not like gambling has not been in Louisiana. There's been lottery. There has been uh, tons of, tons of riverboats there. Then there was land-based where they moved, made it to where you didn't have to be on riverboat anymore, right in this right down there in the middle of everything in new Orleans is, is Harrah's a big casino down there. So it's not like they are, uh, you know, shy, they shy away from gambling or anything like that, but sports betting DFS uh, DFS specifically was outlawed there in Louisiana. They did have a vote to legalize it. Um, although we haven't seen it come into play yet over there. Will my friends in Louisiana be able to sports bet anytime soon? They will potentially be able to vote on whether they want to sports bet anytime <laughs> soon. That's the bill that just a little while ago actually made its way through the Louisiana Senate. Pretty clear and handy vote uh, getting through the Senate. So that bill moves on to the House in Louisiana. That would create a referendum and it would go parish by parish slash county by county uh, in Louisiana for a vote to legalize sports betting that would be coming up in the fall. Now, those of you who are listening and say, hey, I voted on DFS in Louisiana and never got the opportunity to actually play DFS. Matt talked a little bit last week about why that never came to be uh, some legal machinations uh, going on there. But, you know, this is it's a strange situation down there. I mean, there was a sports betting bill that started to make its way through in 2019 that ultimately, uh, you know, the bill sponsor ended up uh sidelining because that bill had been hijacked for other interests. So this takes it to the people uh, and gives them the opportunity potentially to vote on sports betting. So there, there is hope for Louisiana becoming the second state in the South with a significant sports betting presence. Of course, we know that Mississippi has retail. Arkansas has it on a very limited basis. And definitely worth noting there that you said Mississippi, one of the things that was brought up in the hearing, whenever they were trying to, you know, uh, get this passed through to where they could at least vote on the Senate and, and the House for this thing was the fact that he brought up, guys, we are losing. It sounds crazy, but we are losing a ton of business over to Mississippi. I mean, this is I think that you guys are not really taking into account here how many people I mean, especially from when you talk about like southeast Louisiana. You know, New Orleans is not that far from Biloxi. And so people making that trip over to Biloxi where there is uh, several nice casinos there in, in Biloxi, the Beau Rivage is a Vegas quality s casino. You could pick it up and, and drop it on the strip and people would would frequent that place. And so um, it, one of the things that he, he brought up and brought it up several different times was just the fact that they are definitely crossing the border here. They are definitely going to gamble in our neighboring state. So why do we continue to let the money 
flood out of our borders. Well, Matt, I'll just ask you this question as an LSU fan and a Saints fan. What would January 2020 handle have looked like with LSU in the college football playoff and the Saints in the playoffs? Exactly. And that is like the that is like the craziest thing here, too, with this is is all these guys, one of every single person in that legislature knows what a incredible rabid sports base it is there in Louisiana. I mean, these numbers, they're not obviously population wise. It's not going to be anything like we're seeing in, in Jersey and Pennsylvania and stuff like that. However, I think the numbers are definitely going to surprise should this get going here. I mean, in theory, they would be able to vote on it in November of this year and then possibly could be in place by football season for 2021. I think people would be pretty, pretty interested in the numbers that would be coming out of there. I mean, this is one of the most diehard fan bases that you're ever going to see. I mean, you have to think there is no baseball team. So the Saints and, and, and LSU are pretty much everything there. The Pelicans, uh, you know, yeah, now that Zion is there, they certainly are getting a, a, a more love and whatnot. But you know, football handle, yes, Adam, would just be absolutely absurd. And I think people would be uh, pretty, pretty shocked as the numbers that would come out of Louisiana, no doubt about that. And then also, let's not forget that with if there were legal sports betting in Louisiana, and this is a thing that did not get brought up, but something that we can certainly bring up here, a massive amount of, of the casino dollars come from Texas. Uh, Shreveport has a bunch of casinos, which is right down the road from Dallas. And Lake Charles has a bunch of casinos, which is right down the road from Houston. And if you think that these casinos would not run, you know, some sort of promo deal to where if you have a Texas license, you can come over on an NFL weekend or whatever and stay for some sort of promotional rate or something like that. Um, That's another reason I believe that Louisiana Handle could see some pretty crazy numbers because, uh, they already get a lot of casino dollars from those people that live in Texas. Absolutely. And we know that Texas is not coming anytime soon when it comes to sports betting. Dustin, we are, we've talked a lot about DraftKings and them going public here. And we just continue to see, again, we are not financial analysts. We are not financial experts by any stretch of the imagination, but we continue to just see this, this number continue to go up and up and, and DraftKings stock continues to just uh, climb and climb here. Uh, every, every time that we, we take a look here, um, DraftKings is public. I mean, I imagine people have to be seeing the success that, that DraftKings has brought to the table. Is there, do you think there's anybody else out there that might be eyeing this? I mean, this is my last appearance on the podcast because I'm cashing out all my DraftKings stock. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm currently rich uh, beyond beyond my wildest dreams. Uh, I wish I'd have thought about it. I just didn't. I mean, I, I wish I'd have thought about just investing my life savings. I got to be honest. Yeah, uh, you'd, you'd be doing well. Uh, I, I did not do that. I, I, I owned a, a very small amount of DraftKings stock for a very short amount of time. But uh, yeah, you I mean it's trading uh, really well. It's up uh, over. You know, I don't know what it, I didn't look at it today, but it's been. Tra- Trading over twenty five dollars, as we've talked about before, it was you know before the the reverse merger actually happened, it was trading down uh, ten thirteen dollars. So you've you've almost doubled your money if you were investing in the in the reverse merger company before all this happened. So uh, yeah, we uh, we have that an example of uh, the platform provider for Fanduel. Gan has gone public as well. It is trading well and has already well exceeded its target. So you're if you're a if you're an online gambling or sports betting company, you're probably saying, man, we should go public and make a pile of money because every because these two companies have done it. Now, is that, a, is that necessarily going to 
work a ton. I don't know. I don't think that's the, it's, it's, it's I don't think it's a necessarily a, everybody's going to be able to do this and make it work. Uh, again, uh, relying on some reporting and analysis and, and Brad, who Brad Allen, our, one of our writers talked to, uh, put uh, William Hill as an example of this as a company that would possibly gain, uh, spinning out its U S arm and going public with just the U S operation as a possibility, because it's, William Hill is a, is a as a big UK and European footprint, and not really uh, you're not getting maybe the most out of the the future of the US. Now William Hill, of course, a little different. Doesn't really have it. Really focuses on retail. It's even its online operations. The US are kind of small, but you know, in, in the long term, the, the William Hill footprint and all its partnerships it has really could make a ton of sense. Uh, Cami's another one that uh, Brad identified as a possibility uh, that has a has a. Uh, could be uh, with a with U.S. business especially. It's you know it's got a lot of of customers in the U.S. really exposed to the U.S. market. Uh, what might make sense to to have uh, Cami uh, list in the U.S. Um, but yeah, again, we're uh, we're not the stock analyst here. I go I go read Brad's piece to be a little smarter about that. And uh, yeah, I don't think there's a, a pile of gold for every company that in the sports betting industry that wants to go public in the U.S. Adam, but one of the I've actually read several articles on this, and a lot of this is just people's opinions when it comes down to this. But the overwhelming opinion that I continue to read is, yeah, there's a lot of people that are unemployed right now, and there's a lot of people that don't have a lot of extra money. So in the stock market, it's a lot of people who do still have money, rich people that are investing right now, and they're not necessarily investing in today but they're investing in what they see kind of down the road. And so they're not really worried about the fact that we might go into a recession or that we might, you know, have some, some downtime here for the next year to 18 months. They're kind of looking more long-term. They can afford to do that. They're super rich. And so the overwhelming opinion, and we've, I think we've seen this not only with the DraftKings stock, but just really gaming stocks in general. And maybe this is good for the industry as a whole, I don't know. These are, you know, these are smart people or rich people that they made their money somehow. You have to assume they're, they're smart some, somehow along the way, but they're basically betting on gaming. They're basically betting on uh, gaming returning and, you know, when Vegas opens back up and when all these casinos open back up and they're betting on the future of sports betting as well. And they think that, you know, down the line that this could be as big as some people are saying it could be. Yeah, this is the point on every quarterly call where they talk about forward looking statements and just how little we ultimately uh, can guarantee in terms of that. But you know, to play through with that idea, Matt, I understand why. And I, I, I see that logic. Um, if you're doing that with any specific company right now, uh, the way that we've seen the DraftKings stock move, GAN, uh, as was mentioned earlier as well, you know, I, depending on how you feel about uh, the multinationals like uh, like MGM and Win and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I, I see where I see where you're coming from. At the same time, um, the future of the U.S. sports betting industry writ large, as promising as it looks uh, through a couple of years, uh, we're seeing just how quickly things can change. Right. And it wouldn't take much of uh much of a regulatory or legal switch for mm -hmm. the prospects long term to look different than they do now. So, yeah, I think that's more how we're looking at this. We're taking a very long term view of it the same way that, 
you know, that that uh, these articles that you're talking about reference investors taking a long term view of it. Uh, I think as journalists, as reporters, I think we're just kind of given to taking a very sober look at everything and saying, right. yeah, there are possibilities, but uh, there, there are some dark skies out there as well. Not for any one particular operator, but for the, you know, for the industry as a whole, depending on how sports, you know, shake down the next few years. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, I've talked to a few operators here and we talked about this a little bit last week, but you know, should there be no football, it would not be the end of the industry, but it would certainly put a hurting uh, pretty badly on some of these companies, put some real financial strain on them. And I think we would see a lot of consolidation in the market uh, as well in the industry, because I don't think there would be a lot of uh, people that could withstand going, you know, basically an entire year without having uh, the cash cow. So we shall see how this all plays out as we always, as, as we, we say each and every week, this is going to be a wild ride. We are looking forward to it. Guys, before we get out of here, tomorrow is, uh, depending on when you're listening to this, maybe today would be the two-year anniversary of the PASPA decision. Dustin, as we take a look at this, you know, two years, here we are, you know, 2020, May 13th of 2020. What have been some of the takeaways? What have we learned here? What is, you know, what has gone on here over the last couple of years that that has really stood out to you? I mean, it's obviously ironic slash sad that we're we're sitting here talking about this and there's almost no sports to bet on. And obviously, you know, this was some this is this is an overall a big win for the expansion of, of gambling in the United States. We're all glad that we can more easily bet on sports across the country. I mean, my biggest takeaway is is that it's expanded more rapidly than I could have possibly possibly guessed. We have, you know, online betting in, in a lot of states. You add retail, we have it in, in more than 20, either live or coming. Um, it's the expansion and the interest in sports betting has, you know, I, I think there's some people who certainly knew it, saw it coming. I mean, I knew that there was tons of interest in it. I just didn't see like the legislative will to suddenly legalize a new form of gambling would be quite as brisk as it's been. It's been, it's been brisk and yeah, you know, it got slowed down a little bit by the, the current pandemic. I think we'd probably have a few more States uh, uh, looking at this and moving forward right now, if it wasn't for, for the events of the world. But that's, that's the big takeaway is that, you know, we've, we've uh, had lots of interest in sports betting and that's turned into legislative movement and, and more States having it. And, you know, it's, also not been a perfect process. We've gotten some states have gotten it kind of right or close to right. And we've have, you know, cool open markets that are that are going to create revenue and really create something that betters should be should like to, to bet at in long term. And then we have monopolies and things uh, across the country that are, are not ideal. And uh, you know, I, I hope all of this hope everybody, you know, not, not everybody's going to take a step back and look at this, but there are you know, there are definitely lessons of, of what's worked and what's not. And uh, I think it's pretty clear that these open models, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Indiana, have been what's, uh, what's worked for sure. It's a, a competitive, non-monopolistic model is what's, you know, with, uh, with reasonable tax rates and, and licensing fees and things like that uh, has, you know, ha- has, has won out. You know, even in Pennsylvania, we've we, we kind of worried about how that, even that hasn't really hurt the, the high tax rate and licensing fees, hasn't really hurt the market that much to date. Uh, you know, the competitive nature of the market has been has been the biggest thing. So, you know, if you're if you're looking at it and you're trying to run sports bingham as a monopoly, I think that's that's the the worst case scenario for what you're trying to do uh, in the United States. And you're still competing against offshore books. You know, we get the legal books and everyone gets gets beat up upon pretty regularly still by you know offshores and 
we still see every day we see examples in the media and people even within the industry, uh, sports betting and sports industries, just referring to offshore books. And that's the I think that's the, another big lesson is that education effort of what's a legal sports book and, and what's not continue, needs to continue to happen. Yeah, I think from from my end here, really more just the the lack of staunch opposition is really the shocking thing to me in our current climate of the United States. It seems like you're either on one side of the fence or you're on the other and there is no middle ground. And it basically, it seems like everybody is always going at each other, but with sports betting, I mean, even you look at some of these States where things haven't been able to get done. And we talk about these big States in, in Florida and we talk about these big States like California, really that's, that's more just politics going on there than it is the thought of sports betting getting, getting legalized. That is, is the problem. It's the, the, the thought and the overall kind of sentiment towards sports betting for me, I guess the rapid acceptance is the thing that kind of really kind of took me uh, growing up through, through gambling, right? I mean, growing up through poker, I mean, the image of poker was always this like CD back room. Like people thought that it was just this kind of weird, horrible game. You even bring up <laughs> gambling, the traditional forms. And a lot of people kind of roll their eyes. If you talk about craps or blackjack or poker or something like that, but for whatever reason, sports betting has really been accepted and not really gotten near the blowback and near the uh, kind of real tough, resistance that I thought that it was going to get. So that over the last two years, that's been the biggest surprise to me, the biggest takeaway some, for me. To me, some of the, to me, some of that's just, uh, you know, the more, like if you, there's so much gambling now legally in the United States, adding on sports betting, it's like, it's hard to get fired up about that, right? Like, like, you, like we, the, the genie was out of the bottle on gambling in the United States mm-hmm. a long time ago. Now you're just off, you're, it's another form of gambling that casinos can offer. And yeah, it's not really, it's not really moral opposition that's stopping it anywhere. Uh, you know, somewhere, right. some in the deep South, maybe it is still a little bit of a concern, but literally, literally almost everyone's looking at this and it's not like we can, Oh, we're, uh, we're clutching our pearls and we can't possibly legalize another form of gambling. That's kind of not the the narrative anywhere. It's, it is more just inter- the, the internal politics of the States and things like that, that are, that are slowing this down. And that, you know, uh, no, I'd say that's good. I'm a libertarian at heart. I want people to be able to gamble if they want to gamble. And, you know, I don't, I, and back to my point about offshore, I don't, I don't think it's a lot because people realize it's already going on and that, that it should be an argument, but you know, it, it really is already going on. You, we're not, nobody's stopping anybody in the United States from betting offshore at offshore sites that that's going on pretty robustly as it is. So it's, you know, it's it really only makes sense from a policy standpoint too to, to actually legalize it and then you know realize some some gains for for legitimately acting companies and and the states themselves in terms of tax revenue. Adam, you know, two years talk, in, man. Yeah, you what know, you when think? We, when we talk about the reticence, you know, when we talk about the the reticence on on a moral basis, I think the only way you're going to see that really become an issue is if the leagues truly overreach because the way that this form of gaming is different is that it reaches into a part of our lives that you don't have to go seek out separately right like you you don't have poker via sports you don't have slots via sports you go to a casino or you intend to play those games if you want to watch sports and betting becomes part of that whether it's on screen whether it is the mobile experience what you know whatever whether it's the advertising and marketing that's where you have the potential for there to be some blowback. And I talk about the leagues overreaching. Be careful what you wish for. If you are in a sports league and you want to have a vested interest in gaming, because 
the first time that you have a major officiating controversy and you are a league that has a big piece of sports betting, you're asking for blowback that has the potential to not only impact you, but have an impact on other areas. I would continue with the thought about legislation and say this overall. What we could have seen to slow everything down that hasn't happened, that frankly might have been a bit of a straw man anyway, was the concerns over responsible gaming when it came to mobile sports betting, right? The the legislative opposition that we've seen has been the idea of, well, we don't really know who's betting, right? Once we put it on the phone, we don't know who it is. Someone could grab uh, an adult's phone who's underage and be wagering. Well, we haven't seen any of those fears founded as yet. And the industry has just as much of a vested interest in making sure that doesn't happen as opponents do. So as long as that continues to live up to the standards that the industry has set in the first place about knowing who your customer is, then I think you're going to continue to see that opposition uh, be muted at best. The last piece that I would add has to do with the future of the market overall. If you want to know where this market is going beyond the two years that we've had, you need to be paying serious attention to tribal gaming because the four largest states in the country have reticence for one reason or another. And three of them are states where tribal interests have enormous amounts of control over the gaming industry, California, Florida, and New York. Unless you are a getting the tribal industry, tribal gaming industry on board and B giving them incentive to accept sports betting far beyond what they have thus far, especially in terms of mobile sports betting, then you're going to see a cap in terms of how large this U.S. market ultimately can grow. Because so far, we have seen that there has been a growth in supply uh, to, uh, you know, I should say there's been a growth in demand uh, to go along with the supply. On the other hand, you're looking at population totaling. Let's see here if I can do some napkin math, about 80 million people in those uh, three large states, not counting Texas, that is going to uh, you know, have a big say in terms of where the market goes overall. So you know, I won't delve too far into the tribal gaming piece right now, but to understand the long-term potential, you need to understand what tribal gaming's attitude is toward this. Guys, as always, everything that we talk about here on the podcast can be found at LegalSportsReport.com in an in-depth written form. So please head over there, read those articles. Really great work that is going on over there by Adam and his crew. If you want to follow Adam and Dustin on the Twitter machine, at Dustin Galker, at Adam Candy, that is two E's, no Y. You can follow me at Matt Brown M2. And we do appreciate you guys subscribe, rating and reviewing over on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher and Google. Wherever you get your podcast, we are there. And We appreciate helping us climb those charts out there. We want to bring this to as many people as humanly possible. For Adam, for Dustin, I'm Matt. Talk to you guys next week. The go through some emails, check your calendar, see that you have a 45-minute break in the day between meetings, realize this is your moment, so you drive right to McDonald's to pick up something extra delicious ASAP. 
meal. Thank you. There's a meal for every moment at McDonald's. Buy one of your select faves and get another for just a dollar every morning, like a sausage McMuffin or hash browns. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Valid for product of equal or lesser value. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Cowboy meal, valid when product served. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.